<clears throat> I am thrilled. Thank you, Kelly, for letting me do this. It's an honor uh, to be trusted with you guys. To be, I was going to say, to be turned loose. Uh, it's the old rodeo girl in me. I was never a rodeo girl. Um, and I, I tried to put on some makeup. And uh, Christy, thank you for making me cry. Uh, tried to get all gussied up for y'all and look official. Thank you. Thank you. I got a haircut. Put on some makeup. Looks like squirrels slept on my pillow. <laughs> I don't know exactly know what it's supposed to be doing. <laughs> Thank you for laughing at my stupid jokes. <laughs> it helps because I'm not a morning person, right? And I'm still, <clears throat> I'm still all the <clears throat> getting all this cleared up and going and... <clears throat> I have a friend, Debbie Rogers, who calls me just to make fun of my morning voice. She calls me in the morning just to hear her because it's like, <clears throat> I call her Beelzebub. Um, <clears throat> it's my, I call it my Valero voice. I'm that lady at 8 a.m. at Valero going, give me some <clears throat> lucky strikes and quarter slips. <clears throat> okay. <laughs> we got that out of the way. Okay. I put this on because I felt more like a rabbi. I thought, I thought maybe I would be a little more respectable, but I may have undone all of that. I don't know. What is wrong with me? Why do I do this? I don't know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I have a tip jar over by, by Kelly. Take care of your waitresses and they'll take care of you. I'll be here till Thursday. Y'all come back. Oh my gosh. Stop, restart. I just spent two minutes of stupidity. I just thought you this is confirmation you could do stand up. Quarter slits. You just like that, didn't you? Yeah. Listen, camels or lucky strikes, whatever you got. <clears throat> whatever my AA RP discount gets me. Okay, all right. Okay. So, uh, do I have lipstick on my teeth? Okay. I, uh, I, I, I was at dinner the other night, and um, the waitress, <laughs> the waitress, bless her heart, you know what that means, really. <laughs> she, she says, you have lipstick on your teeth. And I said, why are we whispering? <laughs> I went through an entire job interview once. For an internship with the lipstick, not just lipstick, but like Vincent Van Gogh thick paintbrush <laughs> lipstick strokes on my teeth. And I was being bubbly and effervescent and perky because I really wanted to impress them and get the job. And the guy's looking at me going, you know how the dog turns its head? Peculiar human. And I got the job because I guess he thought I was just weird enough to work there. So Kelly has been... Uh, teaching on the science of thinking. And, and I love that, that the science goes hand in hand with the scriptures that speak of renewing the mind, right? And, and I love how she said just a minute ago uh, that we are all on this journey of transformation because it really is a journey. There are moments, powerful, dynamic moments of breakthrough and freedom when you can also both hear or feel chains fall, right? But that's like the start. That's like lift off. That's the thrust that God gives us through the Holy Spirit to break free from the gravity of life, 
right? The gravity of life on planet Earth. That's a process. That's a beginning. And it takes, uh, we'll get into that a little bit. Um, it's, it's, it's transformation that occurs when we think differently. And so, as Kelly said, I want to share uh, one way that I'm applying that, that I'm seeing it applied. And I, and I love this. Transformation, transformation begins with becoming aware of what we're thinking, which is what she's lead, been leading us through week after week. Becoming aware of what we're thinking. And someone said, I wish I knew who it was because I love this quote, the truth can't set you free until you realize what lie is holding you hostage. The truth can't set you free until you realize what lie is holding you hostage. We have blind spots when it comes to what we're thinking. And it can be and has been for me a stunning revelation to discover some of the beliefs and the perceptions that have been actually directing my life. I mentioned the last time I was here with you guys how uh, the word fatherless and unprotected came to me and I had no idea that I'd been operating most of my life out of a place, even though I had a dad, of feeling fatherless, of actually experiencing fatherlessness and being unprotected. I didn't understand what that had established in me, what thoughts, reactions, emotions, responses, filters had all been constructed as a, as a part of that. So that's what I mean by a blind spot. I didn't know that was there. Some of the revelations uh, for me have been facilitated by a counselor. Uh, some have come during meditation and some during inner healing uh, prayer sessions. And some of you guys have sat through an inner healing prayer session with me, either in a group setting or private. And uh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, dinner and a show. Uh, let me say a quick word about inner healing uh, I've, I've been involved in you know, several different types of prayer that fall under the heading of inner healing. And, and the consistent component in all the prayer models is hearing what God thinks. Yeah. Connecting with God to hear his truth. And the other consistent component is embracing the revelation to the same degree that I embraced my previous way of thinking. Kelly said something a few weeks ago about how breakthrough and freedom don't automatically translate into transfer transformation. We go, I have gone to get prayer because I want everything, you know, I like to go bibbity bobbity boop, bam, I'm all good. It's all gone, all done, all undone, all redone, right, in one prayer. My friend John Roper says, uh, healing doesn't happen in a prayer appointment. It happens when someone starts living differently. Yes. Yeah. And I believe that's true. The more I've been in ministry, the more I believe that's true. Transformation takes intention, which is uh, at the heart of what Kelly's been teaching. It's retraining the mind. As Joe Dispenza says, breaking the habit of being ourselves. The danger is if, like me, you're a little bit lazy, it's easier to just find people who will keep letting me be who I was. I'll just find some people who will just let me keep acting all of this out because I know this, and this isn't hard. I'm miserable, but it's not hard. It's not as hard as changing and retraining my mind, right? So with all of that in mind, 
I want to share with you one particular mindset or filter. I'm not exactly sure what to call it, but the Lord exposed it, and, uh, and he's been going after it with me mentally and spiritually. And, and this is a personal journey for me, but I know I'm not the only one, and I believe the Lord wants to unmask this for a lot of us. I want to talk about the toxicity of disappointment. There went the buzz. Boy, that's a buzz kill. Disappointment. I want to talk about disarming it. Last year, uh, the Lord made me very aware that disappointment uh, has had become something of like a Goliath in my life, right? Something that uh, casts a very big shadow, speaking very loudly, coloring my thoughts, skewing my perceptions. And I felt I got the green light from him a couple of months ago to, to really go after disappointment. Uh, to expose it and take it down just like Goliath. I felt like he said, go, the battle is yours. So come on. You going with me? Um, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one who has dealt with or deals with disappointment. I I know a lot of believers harbor disappointment. Even though we might be doing all the right things, you know, going to church and reading the Bible and praying. But all the while, this thing called disappointment is creating a structure and a part of our heart we may not even know it's there. Disappointment creates a lens through which our gaze begins to shift. It's, it's uh, maybe without realizing it. You just start seeing your life and yourself and God through this lens of disappointment. And it's kind of sneaky and it's insidious. It just sort of creeps in there. And before you know it, you step back internally. You may be as busy as ever. Your hands may be raised as high as ever, right, during worship, but you've withdrawn inside. You get sidelined a little bit or a lot. Disappointment makes me personally want to quit, stop, give up, and it pushes my joy and my hope just out of reach. And I don't talk about it because I don't want to sound like I don't have faith or I'm weak. Or I'm mad at God. We can't be mad at God, can we? We'll talk about that. Let me clarify. I'm not talking about a spiritual entity. Although evil spirits can get involved and make the most of your misery. They're opportunists. I'm talking about patterns of thought and cycles of thought that become a mindset. What the Bible calls a stronghold. What I like to call it a default Just an automatic, fortified way of thinking, feeling, perceiving, and being. Disappointment has been so deeply rooted in me because I have rehearsed it and replayed it for years. It's actually been in the culture of my family. The Lord showed me that. I was reading some old letters as I was moving my mom out of her apartment into my house. There was so much disappointment and regret and pain. And that was expressed around me all the time when I was growing up. Now, the original meaning of the word disappointment is interesting. It originally meant to be separated or cut off, dis, from your appointment. Whoa. Or to be deprived of your position. I think it was an old French word, and it had to do with when the king would grant you a position, a title, whatever. To be disappointed 
was to be cut off and separated from that. Starting to make a little more sense now, right? For us as believers. Disappointment in modern language is the feeling that we experience when we are separated from our appointment. And disappointment, the feeling, the thoughts associated with it become this stone in my heart that needs to be rolled away so that so that joy and hope and connection with God can be restored, resurrected. I believe he wants to begin that process with us today. The most dangerous thing about disappointment is that we can slide from there into unbelief. Or bitterness. Or both. Two for one. <laughs> we'll look at how that happened to a couple of people in the scriptures. Bill Johnson, uh, the pastor, senior pastor out at Bethel, he talks about the need to trust God with disappointment. Plural, the disappointments, the mysteries, the things that uh, we don't understand. Why did that happen? Why hasn't that happened? We have to learn to live in the tension of what we know and what we don't have an answer for without conceding any ground to disappointment, hope, or joy. Disappointment will take that thing that you have waited on and prayed for and it will hold it up to you and taunt you with it. Like Goliath. And we shrink back into a dark corner of doubt. Listen for it in the story of Gideon in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. So, backstory, Israel was in this cycle of losing their crops. Uh, they would plant, and the Midianites would swoop in and strip the fields, and so Israel goes into hiding trying to protect their grain, and that's where we find Gideon. Starting in verse 11, Gideon was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. And then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I'm the least in my entire family. You can hear the disappointment over what had not happened and how it shifted Gideon into unbelief. Disappointment even affected his view of himself. How can I rescue? I'm the least. I believe there was generational disappointment operating here because the first step for Gideon, if you read through the story, was to tear down his father's idols. The first step in transformation. One of my heroes in the faith, Chris Gore, uh, has a powerful healing ministry and uh, he tells the story of watching a little paralyzed boy that he prayed for get up and walk for the first time. Yay, right? Yay, Jesus. Well, it actually really troubled him. 
because his own daughter is in a wheelchair and severely disabled. And he shares how he had to wrestle with disappointment with God, that he had to come to terms with what he didn't understand. And he realized that a part of him was offended with God. Disappointment wasn't leading him into unbelief. It was leading him into bitterness. So hold that thought, and let's join our friends, the Hebrews, in the wilderness. <laughs> Exodus 15, 22. Exodus 15, 22. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur. They went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Then they came to Marah. But they could not drink its waters because the waters were bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara, which means bitter. The people grumbled at Moses. What are we going to drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, a branch of which he threw into the waters, and the waters became sweet. And that tree, I believe, and a lot of scholars will agree, and other people interpret it differently, but I believe the tree that was thrown into the bitter water is a foreshadowing of the cross. Hold that thought, and let's look at the story of Ruth and her mother-in-law, Naomi. Naomi had left Bethlehem with her husband and her two sons. They left because of a famine in the land. Now, bear in mind, the irony here, Bethlehem means house of bread. Nonetheless, they go to a foreign country, Moab, and her sons marry foreign women, and one of them is Ruth. Naomi's husband dies, then her two sons die. Imagine her disappointment. Came looking for a better situation. The famine is continuing. Naomi hears that the Lord is providing food in Bethlehem, and she decides to return. And so we pick up the story in Ruth chapter 1, verse 19. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town stirred and said, Is this Naomi? And she said to them, Do not call me Naomi which means sweet, pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter. For the Almighty has caused me great grief and bitterness. I left full with a husband and two sons, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi since the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Naomi's kind of a drama queen. <laughs> Call me Mara. <laughs> so Naomi returned from Moab, and with her, Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, and they arrived at Bethlehem, catch this, at the beginning of the barley harvest. Bitter, disappointed Naomi is walking into a harvest. Ruth, her daughter-in-law, marries a man named Boaz who is called a kinsman redeemer, a picture of Jesus. He restores everything that Naomi had lost. She has a grandson who grows up to be the grandfather of King David. So this woman who was so disappointed that she changed her name from sweet to bitter is sweetened again by the redemption of God, even given a place in the lineage of Jesus. She accesses the grace. I have been Naomi. I have, ooh, 
I have felt disappointment impact my hope, even <coughs> my identity. And I've come to learn and understand and see that disappointment is after nothing less than our destiny. And maybe this is resonating with you. Maybe you can see where you have agreed with the thoughts and the feelings of disappointment and have conformed to that, right? Conformed to the image of disappointment rather than the image of God in which we're created. The optimism of heaven, the sweetness of the cross. Here's what I know so far. I have to trust God with that thing that has disappointed me and not let it dominate the landscape of my life. Not let it tell my story. Not let it write my story. Not let it dominate the inner dialogue, which is our thought life, where we meditate, what we repeat, what we rehearse. I can't let it take the fight out of me the way Goliath did with the armies of Israel. If you feel disappointment, you're in good company. David expressed his disappointment multiple times in the Psalms. Let me read from Psalm 42. Day and night, my tears keep falling and my heart keeps crying for your help. While my enemies mock me over and over saying, where is this God of yours? Why doesn't he help you? Listen for the pivot right there, right there. So I speak over my heartbroken soul. Take courage. Psalm 42. I speak over my heartbroken soul. Take courage. Remember when you used to be right out front leading the procession of praise? When the great crowd of worshipers gathered to go into the presence of the Lord? So then, my soul, why would you be depressed? Why would you sink into despair? Just keep hoping and waiting on God, our Savior. For no matter what, I will sing with praise. And then he turns back to disappointment. Why must I suffer this vile oppression of my enemies? Their wounding words pierce my heart. Here's the pivot. So I say to my soul, don't be discouraged. Don't be disturbed. For I know God will break through for me. Catch the pivot. This is how David interrupted the voice of disappointment, kept it from building something within him. He didn't sugarcoat anything. He was honest with God. Why? But he shifted out of it by reminding himself of his history with God, the nature and character of God. He kept coming back to those thoughts. It's exactly what Kelly's been teaching and what I mentioned earlier. We've got to embrace the thoughts of God to the same degree that we've embraced our former way of thinking. David denied disappointment the throne it wanted. And he was not disconnected, separated from his appointment, which was a throne. He did it by moving in the opposite spirit. One of my very favorite strategies. It's so simple. I feel, I think this. I think I'll feel and think something different. I think I will move in the opposite spirit because that's where the Holy Spirit is. Holy Spirit's not disappointed. 
And I have Holy Spirit in me. I just need to ask myself, how do you feel about this? What are you feeling? Are you in despair? Are you discouraged? Funny, he's not. the, The answer's never been yes. And so I can pivot and move in that spirit. Be empowered by it. This isn't just like, you know, thinking happy thoughts and make yourself feel better. This isn't just positive thinking. This is harnessing the power of the spirit of the living God to appropriate and experience the fullness of the cross. David did it by moving in the opposite spirit. In the face of disappointment, he worshiped. And if you don't hear anything else today, hear this. Disappointment has no answer for your worship. It's got no counterpunch. It's got no comeback. It has no response. There is no counterpunch for the blood of Jesus. No answer for the cross, which transforms bitterness into sweetness. Disappointment's only strategy is to hope that we forget. That's all it's got. She'll forget. She won't remember who she is. She won't remember who he is. She won't remember it's all inside of her. She won't remember that she can pivot. So I had a really, really uh, difficult, exhausting, and kind of gross day not too long ago. Uh, two words, flu bug, stomach bug, let me, let me specify, just give you that mental picture, and someone who couldn't get to the bathroom on their own. Yeah, it was that kind of a day. Yeah, for both of us. Um, and, and, and there was disappointment at my door. Gee, this sure isn't what you thought your life would look like right now, is it? Wow, you kind of got screwed. <laughs> You're not living your best life now, are you? And I was starting to entertain that. This sucks. I'm missing my life, my destiny, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, and then the litany goes on and on. And then, and then I love this. Guess what the verse of the day was in my email that day? James 1, 2 through 4. Ah, yes. That's the one that says, count it all joy. (laughs) Tell me God doesn't have a sense of humor. So let me just read this to you. My fellow believers, James 1, 2. When it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience the greatest joy you can. If you say so. (laughs) For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you. Whoa! To endure all things. And then as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release maturity, perfection into every part of your being until there's nothing missing, nothing lacking, That is the definition of shalom. Count it all joy can sound really glib, but I think when we listen closely, we can hear God acknowledging our circumstances. He says difficulties, trials in one translation, hardship elsewhere. It's like he's saying, 
I know this isn't easy. But you're going to be better when this is over. You're going to gain, expand, overcome. Trust me, this is already in the win column for you. He has the audacity to count it all joy because he sees the outcome. He sees you and me on the other side of this. Bigger, deeper, stronger, wider, greater. Greatness is an inside job. A lot of us think our culture says greatness is what you accomplish, what you get done, how you wow people. Greatness is an inside job. Disappointment would like to stall all of that. God can turn the crap that we go through into gold if we don't let disappointment hijack the process. Separate us from our appointment. Cut us off from our position. 1 Samuel 30 tells the story of David who was called to be king and appointment. And he was in a place of intense disappointment called Ziklag. 1 Samuel 30. Starting in verse 3, when David and his men came to the town, it was burned. And their wives and their sons and daughters had been taken captive. Let that sink in. Home burned. Spouse and children kidnapped. On a scale of 1 to 10, not a great day. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they were too exhausted to weep any longer. Further... David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him. Welcome to leadership. (laughs) For all of them were embittered, each man for his sons and daughters. Listen for the pivot. This man who had just wept until he couldn't weep any longer, David felt strengthened and encouraged in the Lord his God. In the midst of all of this, David inquires of the Lord, what do you say? He knew what disappointment was saying. But his default was to ask God, what are you saying? And as the story goes on, he leads a rescue operation. I have entertained the voice of disappointment for so long, so often, that I've empowered it with my brain chemistry and neural pathways, right? But this is where we also have to be aware of the spirit realm and what is in the atmosphere looking for a place to land. If I have a mindset and a filter of disappointment, I have very likely, over time, submitted to a spirit of disappointment. And we have to repent for that. Repent for letting it call the shots and take back our authority. And, and we can do that later. I was invited to come and share this at, at a friend of mine's church several weeks ago. And some of you know Linda Marceau. And Linda knew what I was going to be talking about, so she sent me this scripture to inspire me. <laughs> Isaiah forty nine twenty three. Those who hope in God will not be disappointed. 
Oh my gosh, that made me so mad. <laughs> As in hoping God will not be disappointed. Said every church lady who ever bought a magnet at a Christian bookstore. I wanted to punch her in the throat. So I was ranting in my kitchen. I have hoped in God and I have been disappointed. And I felt the Lord ask, have you really? That's how God usually speaks to me, by the way, with questions. I I know it's probably the way I'm wired, but it's also because he's usually interrupting a rant. And I think questions catch my attention. (laughs) The other day I was in a mental mental rant. I wasn't out loud, but I was in a mental rant about my husband. And... um, I was uh, just going on and on and on, and I heard, what if he's not the problem? (laughs) Wait, what? Because my whole life is pretty much based on him being the problem. Come on, Deborah. He needs to do this, and he needs to do that, and he needs to change this, and... And do more of this and less of that. And, and he needs to go to church. <laughs> and I hear, what if I'm okay with him? I have no answer for that. <laughs> That's another talk someday. So back to those who hoping God will not be disappointed. I'm ranting in my kitchen that I have hoped and he has disappointed me. And I hear, have you really? And I'm like, say that again. (laughs) Have you really hoped in God? And then it hit me. I've hoped in the outcome of situations. That's where my hope has been. That my relationships will look a certain way. That my finances will look a certain way. My job, my children, my marriage will look a certain way. My hope is in these things turning out a certain way. I pray for these things to happen, and that's where my hope is. That things will line up a certain way. It is my hope in God that will not disappoint. Hoping in the nature and the character of God. So my friend Linda trains people for prayer ministry, and she emphasizes don't get tied to a particular outcome when you're praying. Oh, that's so hard to do. Because that's where disappointment can come in. Do not get tied to a specific result Trust God with the outcome. So, so here we are then. We walk this line of praying in faith. What does the scripture give me permission to ask for? What can I pull on him from him and expect and believe? The scripture tells us believe that you have received. So we go after something. And we say, I want this outcome. I expect this outcome. I give thanks in advance for this outcome. I believe for this outcome. But my hope is in God. 
My hope is not in the outcome. And this frees us up then to hold our expectations very loosely before God. Over and over again, we have to say, I don't understand this, but my hope is in you. I don't know why this situation hasn't budged in 20 years, but my hope is in you. Because if my hope is all tied up in that situation changing, then my opportunity for joy is going to be very limited. There was a lady I met with uh, for prayer once who was betrayed by her husband uh, multiple times, and she was understandably hurt and angry. And I brought up the idea of Matthew 18-type forgiveness, that her husband owes her a debt that he can't pay. And can she forgive the debt, let Jesus pay it, and settle the account? Because her husband can't make it right. So my question, my proposition to her was, can you forgive the debt and let Jesus settle the account? Let him pay what her husband owes so that the debt can quit screaming to be paid. Debts have voices. A guy told me once, a young man said, well, you know, I don't know. I, we were talking about forgiveness or situation. He goes, I, I don't know, you know, out of sight, out of mind. That was a long time ago. I said, let me ask you something. If you get a bill, there's a debt someone's trying to collect from you, and you shove it in a drawer, does that thing go away? Does it quit exerting an influence? Does it quit talking? Does it quit speaking? No, it's there. So this was what I was presenting her with, this proposition of letting the Lord pay the debt. And she thought about it, and she said she didn't think that she could do it until her husband showed some real repentance, because it just did not seem sincerely sorry. And she said, you know, maybe if he shows real repentance in his apology, then I could do that. And my question to her that the Lord prompted was, what if he never does? What is your like? What does your life look like then? Because her hope was tied to him doing something. Her hope was in him articulating his repentance in a meaningful enough way to satisfy the debt he owes her. That's what her hope was in, really. That'll be disappointing. Those who hope in the Lord will not be disappointed. They will not be cut off or separated from their appointment. They will not be deprived of their position. Hebrews 6, Hebrews 6, starting in verse 18. And now we have run into his heart to hide ourselves in his faithfulness. This is where we find his strength and comfort. For he empowers us to seize what has already been established ahead of time, unshakable hope. We have this certain hope like a strong, unbreakable anchor holding our souls to God himself. I'm starting to look at things differently. It's just water, I promise. (laughs) Gorgeous lips. I'm holding things much more loosely. There's a lot of room to breathe now that I didn't have before. So worship is a pivot. Thanks 
is a pivot. I'm doing a meditation right now on Thanksgiving and gratitude. And uh, the Lord gave me a, a scripture to meditate on. And it's, it's one we all know. It's from Psalm... Like I said, we all know it. Uh, well, I enter your gates with thanksgiving. 104. 100. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and a thank offering. And he had me just spend about 20 minutes meditating on that. The Passion Translation says, you can pass through his open gates with the password of praise. Come right into his presence with thanksgiving. Praise is the password. Enter his presence. A gate is a portal. Enter his gates. Enter that portal with thanks. Come right into his presence. Someone said recently, uh, uh, he's not a Christian, um, but he's, a, he's very well known in the world of meditation. He says, grace is present. What is lacking is perception. Gratitude is like the secret key that shifts awareness. That sounds a lot like Psalm 100. Pass through his gates, his open gates with the password of praise. Gratitude and thankfulness is a, is a tool in a prayer model called HeartSync. Um, science says that gratitude and appreciation actually creates capacity for joy in the brain. And so in HeartSync, we begin by appreciation. We begin with gratitude and appreciation to open up that area to create that capacity. We focus on appreciation for something. So I want to spend the, the next minutes that we have um, activating some of what we've been talking about today and giving you an opportunity to enter into it with intention uh, and to uh, appropriate it you know, for yourself. Um, and so uh, we'll begin, and let me just pray real quickly. Jesus, I just thank you that... Um, you are the spirit of truth that guides us into all truth. I thank you that your word says in 1 John 3, 8, you came, the reason you came was to undo, unravel, dissolve, and destroy the work of the enemy. And so today we give you permission to be present. We give you permission to unravel, undo, destroy, and dissolve what disappointment has done what it's tried to build within us, where it's tried to disconnect us, where it's tried to roll a stone over our heart, where it's tried to knock us out of the game, we give you permission to come and undo that. I bless each woman here to hear and to see and to receive from her spirit. I call your spirit man forward now. I bless your spirit to be awake and alert, thriving and dynamic. Connected with the spirit of the living God, which is your true state of being. Your most true state of being is connected spirit to spirit with the Holy Spirit. So in that place where we are right now together, just take a breath. And be aware of just breathing in the spirit of God, the ruach, as they say in Hebrew, which means spirit and breath. 
Same word, ruach. You can breathe in the breath of God. You can breathe in the spirit of God. It's what he breathed into Adam. It's what he breathed on the dry bones in Ezekiel. It's what Jesus breathed into the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Breathe it in. Breathing is a wonderful picture of a spiritual reality. It's a natural transaction that occurs. We breathe something in. An exchange occurs within us. A change occurs. And we release something that has changed. Receive, release. It's as easy as breathing. It's a very true picture of the spirit realm, of the exchange that God wants to do with us. So just be aware of your breath, of what that can represent for you, the reality and the truth and the change that can occur today in an exchange with the living God. And let's begin by focusing on something you're grateful for, something that you appreciate. I have focused before on the petunias on my patio. I have focused on queso. (laughs) The appetizer of heaven. I have focused on how grass feels under my feet. So I'm just saying that to give you permission to begin to express thankfulness, feel the gratitude, and feel the change that occurs as you connect right there, right there in that place of gratitude and thankfulness. In the midst of anything that has been disappointing, Find the thankfulness and the gratitude and let that expand. Breathe it in and let it expand. Our thanks is a portal to his presence. We enter into your presence with thanks. So take a moment. Feel the shift. And I'm going to ask him some questions on your behalf. Jesus, what appointment has disappointment been trying to separate me from?
Jesus, can you show me how that has played out? And if you feel he's clarified the assignment of disappointment and how it's played out, the thoughts attached to it, the feelings attached to it, how we've conformed to it, cooperated with it. You can pivot and you can say out loud or internally or later, however you want to do it, today I take back my authority. Where I have submitted to a spirit of disappointment I repent, I turn away from that involvement, from that participation, and I take back my authority. I submit to the one true living God to the one who is joy, the one who is hope. I don't answer to disappointment. My life is not directed or dictated to by disappointment. I give disappointment no place. I'm evicting you today. You have no place in me. I give you none, and I command you off of my thoughts, my perceptions, my feelings, and my thoughts of the future. I command you off of my connection with God. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke, push back, keep down the spirit of disappointment. And now if you would like to, you have an opportunity to release God from your judgment. Judgment and forgiveness, and this is something Anne-Marie and Kelly have a lot of experience in. These are the areas where we get the most freedom. 
It's in the areas of judgment and forgiveness. They're powerful spiritual principles. And without knowing it in some cases, without realizing it, when bad stuff happens, when things don't go the way we wanted, we hold God responsible and we have a judgment against him. And that has power. In our lives, it can almost work like a curse. And so you can repeat after me or internally or at another time. Father God, God, today I choose choose to release you you from wherever I have held you you. in blame, blame, bitterness, bitterness, and disappointment. I want a reset and a reboot today. Forgive me for my judgment. Forgive me for where I've withdrawn. Forgive me for where I've hardened myself in my heart. Forgive me for where I've entertained doubt. I breathe all of that out now. No longer a part of me. And I breathe in your spirit and your breath. Take a deep breath. Feel the expansion and the reconnection with God that he intends for you. Father God, I surrender the right to understand. I trust you with the mystery. I put the responsibility squarely on your shoulders. I release my right to have an answer that satisfies me. And I receive the freedom of that. And now for the people who have disappointed us. Jesus, who would it benefit me today to release from my judgment? And he'll highlight someone, a group, an individual, more than one. He'll highlight that to you because it's connected to the ministry that he's doing right now. And if you want to, if you choose to, this is not a feeling. It's a transaction. It's a decision to line up with a spiritual principle. You can say, Jesus, you know my disappointment. You know where I have felt pain. Today I choose to transfer all of that onto you. 
I let you pay the debt they owe me. What their disappointment has cost me. I give that to you to pay in full. To settle this account. To silence this debt. To clear the books. I decide to accept your blood as full payment. for what they cannot pay. And I release them from my judgment. I don't want to live as a bill collector or a judge. I move out of the realm of justice and into the realm of grace. And I give them my forgiveness. They don't owe me any longer. Jesus, what do you have in exchange for that? And how does that change things for me? How does that play out? Last thing we'll ask, Jesus. I'll ask for you, you receive. What spirit are you releasing from your Holy Spirit to take the place of where disappointment was an influence? And then I invite you to breathe that in. as he fills you with it. Receive it. Let it do its work. Let it undo, unravel, destroy and dissolve the work of disappointment. In the name of Jesus.